Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Even though you're listening to this on podcast and not on the air, you can still call our toll-free number, 877-929-9673, and you can still send us email to words at waywardradio.org, and you can still find us online at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Writing is really hard work. If you're going to do it well, you need focus, you need passion, you need solitude, and you need lots and lots and lots of practice. So it's surprising to learn just how many of the greatest writers in the English language actually had to work other jobs when they were writing. I mean, it's really amazing, Mm. Grant. And I've been reading about this in a new book by our friend Jack Lynch, Mm -hmm. who's written about Samuel Johnson and lexicography and the history of lexicography. He's got a new book out that's called Don't Quit Your Day Job. And it's about famous people in history who had day jobs while they were doing other things. And I really enjoyed it. It's it's a light, easy read. But uh, a lot of the people that he talks about mm-hmm, in the book, mm-hmm. like, for example, Vladimir Nabokov was a highly regarded lepidopterist. You know, he was head for a while of uh, the butterfly and moth division of Harvard's Museum of Comparative Zoology. Awesome. Isn't that's that a, great? What a fantastic contrast that is. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Wonderful. he was he was quite the scientist. Faulkner was was a postal clerk, mm-hmm. and uh, and so was Anthony Trollope. By and the way, and everyone always talks about Einstein when this comes up. He was. Right. A, a patent clerk, right? Right. But it, it made me think about, even if you're not a great writer, how did your jobs growing up affect the way that you write mm. and see the so world? the stuff that you did as a child, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was a newspaper boy. That's where yeah. I got the newspaper habit, reading the paper as I was folding them up to deliver them that uh, day. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. uh-huh. Interesting. Does your day job influence the way you write? We'd love to hear about it. Call us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, And you can also call us if you want to talk about grammar, slang, punctuation, word origins, family phrases and sayings. Or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Great. Who's this? This is Vic from Indianapolis. Hi, Vic. Welcome to the program. Hi, Vic. Hi, great to be on. Uh, what can we help you with? I've ran into a word that uh, is kind of bugging me. Sort of a new way of saying I'm getting you something or I'm working on that, and it's the word efforting. What? Efforting? Okay, you have to give us an example, Vic. Well, um, I work in media. I work in the, at a newspaper, and uh, a colleague sent me an email um, telling me that he had some reporters efforting a photo. And, um, oh, you know, Lord of mercy. <laughs> I see you're big fans, too. <laughs> yeah, and, and then we had a, another an editor sent a question to one of my bosses saying, are we efforting this? <laughs> you know, are we efforting something? <laughs> wow, interesting. And you're, you're t- you love the word, clearly. Oh, yeah, geez, it's big, horrible. Big thing. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing He ever. loves it as much as I do. And what should they have said instead? Well, you know, getting, or are you working on this, or something like that, don't you think? I mean... Wow. Do you find that a lot of your coworkers are using this? Uh, no, a couple. And so you I, speak to them? Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I haven't, I haven't really talked to the folks who have oh, used it. I've just sort of, I guess, made fun of them, and now I'm calling you. <laughs> <laughs> made fun of them in private. Yeah. And now they know what you think through the yeah, magic of radio. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> 
Well, I got to tell you, Vic, I've I've heard it before, and it's got a long history that doesn't make me like it anymore. Whoa! <laughs> you know, I think ironically, Vic, efforting sounds like such a lazy word. It's like you can't put in the effort to come up with a better word. Wow. Efforting, oh, efforting. Ah, that's nice. a good point. She's brandishing a meat cleaver as she talks. I am. <laughs> I just <laughs> certainly a lot of nouns start out as verbs. In English and sure. vice versa, right? right? right. It's I a mean, natural part of word growth, I mean, word change. Vic and Grant, are you bothered by texting? No, not really. Some people are, but I'm not. What about you, Vic? No, no, no. no? I, and I don't mind the, the you know, the, the slang you see on text and all that. Right. The abbreviations. Okay. It's fine. What about accessing? Sure, fine. Grant's, Grant's fine. Yeah, yeah. Are you, you on the fence about accessing? You know, I, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I okay. think it's okay. Okay. Friending? Yeah, sure. I'm okay with totally that. Totally fine, Friending. yeah. Mm-hmm. Gifting. Uh, yeah, fine with gifting. Yeah. Gifting? Yeah. But giving's better because the word is, both word. You know, why not you're giving it? But but gifting does have its specific uses that aren't the same as giving. So, yeah, gifting can work. I, what do you I've think? seen some other words that I think are kind of cousins to efforting. Okay, let's Maybe, hear them. Like, you know, in, in the business world, you might see somebody say, utilize instead of use. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then skill set is a way of saying, you know, these are my skills. And oh, I just, but these days, they don't even say skill set. They say your bucket. Your bucket? <laughs> yeah, your bucket. <laughs> okay. That's new to me, by the way. Okay. Yeah, that's that new one. to me, too. But it's sort of like modality. What in the heck is a modality? Love it. Love it. Oh, I love that yuck. word. Does it you mean can apply any, Yeah, exactly. The point Does is you it? can put any meaning you want on it. Love. And efforting is kind of the same thing. It's, it's like I'm not a fan of efforting. And you're probably right that it's lazy, but what I love about it is they allow you to believe whatever you want about what they are and are not doing. <laughs> you could be efforting a photo because all you did was ask the guy in the chair next to you if he had one. Oh, or I like you could that. be efforting the photo because you went to Getty Images and paid $10,000 for the rights to you know, uh, the best photo ever, right? Now, there's okay. a lot of different ways to be efforting, and so I think it allows any kind of definition of that word to work. So. I, it's probably because you're not really doing your job. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just oh. reading too much into this. So but. efforting is a word for the Dilbert but age, But look, right? Google it. Google the heck out of efforting and like media uses. It actually looks like it might be a term of art in media, well, particularly now that broadcast would be, media. That would be different. Right. Have you heard it that way, Vic? I mean... I, you know, not really. I mean, I, and working in media, I, I, I run across some of the jargon. I mean, there's plenty, like sure. in any business. But sure. Yeah, yeah. Efforting's not one that I've heard, you know. I, a lot of the old stuff like Spike or, you know. Oh, yeah. sure. Love that stuff. TQ yeah. and stuff. Well, those, look, are one, those are great. Your but, instincts are good here. It's to be avoided. I would definitely take it out of your own vocabulary and learn how to <laughs> cock a silent eyebrow at your coworkers when they use it. <laughs> will do. Just effort that, will you? <laughs> effort. Thank you both so much. Our pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. Call bye-bye. again. Bye-bye. Have a take good day. Care. Bye. Efforting users anonymous. I would like to hear from the people who use that I'll word. I'll tell you and are what you're going to get. I'll tell you what crickets. Crickets. <laughs> crickets. Because everybody who uses the word efforting is too lazy to write no, us or I call us. Look, let's not let's not automatically call it lazy. Let's just say it's a poor I'm choice. I'm calling it lazy. Oh, okay. Efforting, okay. Un- unless there's some specific meaning that I don't know. Well, because that's what you I'm and saying, I, in business know, jargon, so. we're okay with specific meanings, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So we want to hear from you. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us. Effort us an email. Is that the way you say oh, it? I don't terrible, even know. Terrible. <laughs> Words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm calling from Marshfield, Wisconsin. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Welcome. Kathy. Thank you. What would you like to talk with us about? Well, my father and his fellow bus drivers in the 1950s and 60s in Racine, Wisconsin, had a very interesting way of pronouncing the word S-C-H-E-D-U-L-E. And I'm just wondering if that was perhaps their own local version of the pronunciation or whether it has some history behind it. Hmm. Um, what did they say? Skadooly. Skadooly. Skadooly? Mm-hmm. Did they say this in, in an <laughs> official way or was it a jocular fashion or was there some kind of tone to it? It's how they referred to their routes, um, uh-huh. maintaining, keeping to their skidooly. Keeping to their skidooly. And so were they school bus drivers or were they regular bus drivers? City bus drivers. City bus drivers. Okay. And did you ever talk to him about it? Did you ever say, hey, you're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable? 
No, but my father always had a, a great love for words, and mm-hmm. he was in a crossword puzzle fiend, and mm-hmm. he just had this uh, wonderful connection with words. And I don't know if this was his idea or whether, because I heard all of the bus drivers using it. Uh-huh, so it caught up. And, and when they're using it, they would just say it in ordinary English without a wink or a nudge, without a giggle or a laugh, without any kind of remarking upon it at all. They would just say, uh, oh, I'm going to adjust my schedule this week so I can have some time to go off to the lake. <laughs> Correct. Did, it, did you have the impression that it was maybe a, an intentional corruption of scheduling? Well, I knew it referred to their schedule, and I know that the British pronunciation is schedule. Mm-hmm. Although, although the younger generation is starting to pronounce it like the Americans. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But, um, but not like the Americans in Racine, Wisconsin. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> right, Racine. I have I, I, never heard that, Kathy. I really have never heard anyone say schedule, and I can only assume that it was some kind of big group joke. Do you think that's mm-hmm. the case? It's possible. It's possible. Well, I, were they it? a lively bunch yeah, with a lot were of food? Oh, yeah. They were an extremely lively bunch. Members oh, of the Moose okay. Lodge of the uh, Order of the Beer or what have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe they were just goofing. I've never heard skidoo. I like it. Why not? It's got an E on the end, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and now my father was of German heritage, so that mm-hmm. may have, and many of the bus drivers ah. were as well, hmm. so that may have some effect on it as well. That's hmm. possible. German. I don't know the German word for well, you know, I wonder if there are any of our listeners in Wisconsin who have heard this from, because, you know, the show is broadcast all across Wisconsin. I wonder if anyone else can pop us an email and let us know if they've heard this pronunciation, even from non-bus drivers, a skadooly as a way of saying schedule. That's really interesting to I me. I like it. Give us a ring, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or say so in email to words at waywardradio.org. Kathy, thank you so much for your call. If we find anything out, we'll be sure to let you know. All right. Thank you. All okay. right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A fantastic article has been making the rounds. This is from Vanity Fair. It's kind of a, a day in the life of the president. It's just talking about the realities of being president and all the compromises and work that you have to do. Of the country? Of the country, okay. of course. Um, not a job I've held yet, so I was kind of nice to see them talk about it. There's a ton of great language in there. Ooh. One of the words that they talked about is a stakeout. A stakeout is, I guess this is when... Um, a meeting breaks up, uh-huh. and the reporters are kind of all just hanging out there waiting to buttonhole the officials. That's uh-huh. a stakeout. Uh-huh. Interesting, right? Another yeah. one that's in the article is the morning gaggle. Mm-hmm. This is the morning press briefing of right. all the reporters just to find out what happened overnight. Um, great stuff. And then another one is it's a full lid. A full, a full lid. lid? This Wait is a when the White House has no more public statements, announcements, nominations, or activities. I'm quoting from the Vanity Fair article here. Uh-huh. Anyway, just a ton of interesting stuff in there besides telling you a little bit more about how this country operates. We'll link to that on the website. If you've got something about language that you want to share, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven W A Y W O R D. Or find us on Facebook. Look for Wayward Radio. More of Away With Words is coming at you, including a word puzzle. Stick around. to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined by our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. 
Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. How'd you like Hi, that John. intro? Is that all right? That was terrific. I'm wondering, are you okay? Do we need to get you a mint or a, <laughs> She did the bells. I did the whistles. <laughs> That's good. Teamwork. I love it. I'm the dog. Well, she's the pony. This is Dog and Pony Show. Welcome. <laughs> Where does that leave me? I don't, I'm afraid to ask. I don't know. Well, you're you the know, quiz master. You're supposed oh, to have right. something really difficult that makes us look stupid. Uh-oh. Here it I'll comes. see what I can do. You know, I'm, I'm always on the cusp of new and exciting innovations in puzzledom. I've created a word search puzzle that you can solve on the radio. No. Yes. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. Well, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a variation on a word search puzzle, so to speak. Okay. It's very simple. I'll give you a word, uh, a long word. Somewhere within that word, either forwards or backwards, will be hidden another word. Your job is to figure out what that word is. I'll give you a category for the hidden word. Okay. 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 For example, if I gave you the category radio show topic and the clue swordsmanship... The answer would be? Words. Words. Very good. Words. The word words is hidden in swordsmanship. Okay. All right. Here we go. Now, you may need a pen or a pencil for this one. Write the longer word down. It'll help you figure it out. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here's the first one. A U.S. state capital. And the word is exhausting. Austin. Austin. Very good. Very good. Getting right in there. Good. The second one, a world capital, rubbernecking. Rubbernecking. Hmm. Burn. Burn. Oh, very, very good. good. Very good. Nice. Burn Switzerland. Here's the next one. Another world capital. Familiarize. I'm going to write it in capitals and see if. Oh, that forward helps. and backward. That's probably forward or backwards. Oh, right. it can go backwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lima. Azuria. Lima. Yes, oh, Lima. Lima's correct. <laughs> Lima, Peru. Very good. Here's one for a sign of the zodiac. The word is. Shoelaces. Shoelaces. Leo. Leo. Very good. Okay. This next one is a flower. Metrosexual. Rose. Rose. Very good. Very good. Metrosexual. For some reason, I was going straight to trying to find the backward ones because I figured Uh he's he's a crafty dude. That's right. I'm waiting for a diagonal one. Gee, that's, see, that's the next step. I've got to get into the laboratory and work on diagonals now and up and down. The next one is a home appliance, and the word is minorities. Iron? No. Iron. Very good. That's it? Oh, very good. Yeah, one, two, three. Look got at it. you. Okay. Now we're looking for a celebrity, and the word is non-observant. Oh, no. Bono. 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 Very good. <laughs> Simultaneous, I'll give you that. That's good. The next, we're looking for a musical instrument, and the word is recollections. Cello. Cello. Right. Oh, Very good. You. One, two, three. Coming down to the wire here. Uh, looking for a woman's name, and the word is primaries. Prime. Mary. Marie. Marie, yes. Oh, good. Marie. <laughs> Finally, you know how we love to do sports here. An NBA yes. team, inconsistently. An NBA team. Uh, Nets. The Nets oh, is right. Yeah. New Jersey Nets. Good. You guys were fantastic. <laughs> On the very first ever radio word search puzzle. I like nice that. I want to take you Thank to the you. doctor's office with me. You know how people are always doing those Next things? Next week, it'll be Go Fish on the Air. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you, Martha. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, John. If you have a question about wordplay or language or grammar, slang, regional dialects, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yeah, hello. This is Stacy Amaral from Worcester, Mass. Well, hi, Stacy. Welcome hi, to the program. Hi, thanks. I'm really excited to be on the show. I've been enjoying listening to you. Oh, right. super duper. What can we do for you? Well, I, there's a word that I know that I've known all, for a long time, and the word is limbed. We say in Spanish, limbed. It looks in English like you write it as limber. Uh-huh. But what it, what it is, it's a kind of dessert treat, an icy treat, kind of like um, Italian ices or gelato. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, it's made often with coconut, and mostly it's made by people in their houses, and they sell it on the street. Mm-hmm. And where is this made? In, in, in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Puerto is that Rico. where you're from? 
Well, no, I'm from here, but I have family and people back and forth from okay. New York to Worcester to Puerto Rico to all over. And the oh, word is L-I-M-B-E-R. E-E-R. Okay, very. It looks like Limber, but it's pronounced Limber. It's Limber. And nobody knows where that name came from. I ask everybody. Where's, I don't know. Some people say it came from Lindbergh. Uh-huh. You know, the aviator. Right. It's not a Spanish word, so... No. And only in Puerto Rico do they use that word for this particular... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have seen several different stories about it possibly being related to Charles Lindbergh. And, Stacy, you know that he went to Puerto Rico in 1928? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and put yourself in that time, 1927, he flies across the Atlantic. And right. this is huge. Yeah. I once read something by a female aviator from that time who said, you know, nobody was paying attention to us. We were trying to draw attention to aviation and Nobody was paying attention to us, but then he flies across the Atlantic, and she said, at that time, it was bigger than the moon landing. Uh, I mean, my grandparents, people talked about it to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not that old, but, you know, they talked about when that happened. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was Mm -hmm. huge. And the next year, he made this tour of um, the countries down there in the Caribbean, including Puerto Rico, in 1928. And I've seen several stories, one of which is that uh, he hopped off the plane there in San Juan, and and people came up to him with this delicious dessert, and he said, what is it? And they were so excited to meet him that they couldn't think of a name for it. So they just (laughs) called it the Limber after him. That's But that's just one story, Stacey. There there are several. Another one is that, uh, you know, he was of Swedish descent and kind of reserved. And and there was a saying that uh, somebody was frio como Lindbergh. Lindbergh, yeah. Ah, (laughs) I think he would be. Also, he was very conservative. So I think people there would have seen him. Like that. He was standoffish then is what you're saying. And and, yeah. and and so the warm reception that he received was in contrast to his own behavior. Right. Right. Did he but respond in- happily to the warm reception? Reception, or I think so, but in his own way. There's one right, story right, that right. he was expected to to give out roses to everybody, which I guess is a practice <laughs> at, at Carnival right, right. there. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. but he wouldn't do it supposedly. Uh, right. So that's that's one story. But the other story that, if it's related to Lindbergh, makes sense to me is it was a huge event, and I could just see people capitalizing on that. The people who were selling these. Mm-hmm. Things. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, that, people would. I mean. You know, because in Puerto Rico in that time, it was very poor. So if you had a good market, people would have come out. So Lindbergh was famous enough that they would take this icy treat, which already uh-huh. existed, and just rebrand it or rename okay. it, right? All right, that's that what you're sense. saying. That's yeah. my hunch. The other thing that I'm thinking about, Stacy, is you know the the verb lamber. Yeah, I like to lick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering uh, if so maybe there's, there's some a con- influence there between yeah. the two. Right. Well, maybe, but you know, every nobody I Spanish speaking people nobody has ever said that. They only say either Limber from Limber uh-huh. or I don't know. Well, Stacy, you're making us hungry. Yeah. Well, you it, you should try. <laughs> They're very good. Okay. Well, I will keep enjoying your show. Thank okay. you for sharing All with right, us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. 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 One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? Chip. Hi, Chip. I'm calling from Huntington Beach, California. Huntington Beach, California. Well, welcome to the program. Hello, Chip. Thank you. What's Hi. On, what's on your mind? Well, I, I have a question about, I'm intrigued by the way my 15-year-old daughter and her friends are using words like jargon mm-hmm. compared to the way we did. Mm-hmm. And the word that I'm currently trying to understand her use of is fail, F-A-I-L. Uh-huh. And she uses it like all the time. If like, for example, she's trying to you know, figure out chopsticks and some rice falls between the bowl and her mouth, she says, oh, I failed. <laughs> Um, or if, and she and her friends are, you know, pretty good students. So if she gets a B on a test that she was thought she was going to get an A on, she'd say, oh, I failed. Oh, wow. Mm, when I was growing up, that would have been an F or a D, not a B, you know. Right, right. Right. Um, can I give you a quick example that she, she told me? Yes, By the way, yeah. Um, this was classic. And, and they use it to each other, not necessarily about themselves. So she said, if she was walking across campus with a load of books, and one fell off, you know, mm-hmm. and with her friends, she would say, oh, I fail. And then if she bent over to pick up the book and all of them fell, mm-hmm. you know, making a big mess, one of her friends would say, no, that's an epic fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so I just am really curious. The, the, the words they use in Common Conversation, they're great kids. They don't really use profanity or anything. But the words that they use in terms of slang seem to be kind of extreme or final or maybe a little competitive or something. It doesn't seem to be reflected in their relationships, but I just wondered if maybe that's a trend in jargon, especially among young people or whatever. It's hmm. definitely a trend. I think slang is what we're talking about more than jargon, though, jargon being okay. more for the workplace. So it, uh, epic and epic fail um, are peaking, uh, maybe even past their peak as slang words used by young folks. Uh, I think I included in my New York Times Words of the Year list a few years ago as just standouts just by how popular they were and how common they were and being used in headlines. There's even a trend of taking photographs of some accident or something strange happening like uh, an overloaded truck, you know, where the the Mm. bed of the truck is touching the ground and putting the word fail in big block letters across the top of it. Um, So, yeah, they're definitely in touch with a larger stream of slang that is has spread through the United States. Yeah, Chip, you might enjoy Fail Blog. I think that's mm-hmm. the name yeah, of it. Yeah, that's you right. Go there yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Some of it's kind of risque, but it's a lot of photographs of fails now that fail has sort of become a noun, mm-hmm. you know, and they're labeled fail. Like, like here's one I'm looking online. It says, th- this is a, from a text. It says, the statistics show that 100% of the people who were bitten by a snake were close to it. <laughs> and they have in big letters fail <laughs> yeah because yeah, it's often used as an interjection rather than using just you just simply insert it into the conversation where you know somebody trips and falls and you shout gleefully fail or something like that um, the other thing that you said which really interests me is that she uses it for things as simple as dropping a little rice when she's using yeah. chopsticks and that probably represents a kind of what's called semantic bleaching Semantic bleaching. Right. B-L-E-A-C-H-I-N-G, just like the stuff you use in the washing machine. Oh, yeah, or every six weeks, and so, some of us. So, <laughs> so this is the stuff. <laughs> it took me a second there. <laughs> I have very little hair. You so can't I don't relate. Need to, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so this means that we take a word that has a fairly harsh definition or a harsh connotation, and it softens over time. So a failure isn't really a fail. A fail is something uh-huh. different than a failure. It's, oh, a, it's some yeah. minor disappointment or some kind of you have defeated yourself. Often these fails don't represent a competition, and they don't represent some kind of ranking. They simply mean that you did something really terribly when you're expected to do much better. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. Well, thanks for that report from the field. And we welcome more <laughs> reports in the field. If you got them, send us some emails, ship some time, and let us know what she's talking about now. All right. All right. Thank you very much. This has been fun. Take care. Our pleasure. Yeah, Thank you for calling. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three is the phone number, or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio dot org. <laughs> ago on the show, we were talking about linguistic false friends, those words in other languages that look like English words but mean something completely Mm -hmm. different, you know, like Mm -hmm. the word mist in German means dung or manure, so you don't want to be drinking Canadian mist there. Um, We got (laughs) over on our Facebook page, Wayward Radio on Facebook, we got a message from Carlos who says, my family is from Latvia, and I always think it funny when I see Vista Computing Systems or Vista Vision or Vista Overlook and others, because in Latvian, Vista means chicken. (laughs) The chicken overlook. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. If you'd like to share a linguistic false friend, call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mark from San Diego. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What's going on? Uh, Not too much. I just had a question, as you might guess, about grammar and uh, word usage. Okay. So my question relates to the show Mad Men. Mm -hmm. I was watching a few weeks back when one of the characters said, keep me in the loop. And that caught my ear because while the phrase is pretty ubiquitous in today's business parlance, it Mm -hmm. it seemed a little out of place for the early to Mm mid-1960s. So the question would essentially be, when did in the loop enter our common business parlance, and was it even around in the 1960s? Okay, so are you one of those folks who watch the show and look for anachronisms? Yeah, just uh, whatever might be out of place for mm-hmm. the the period it's set in. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they do they do claim to 
that they are on target when it comes to the historical accuracy of the show, right? Right. Yeah, I think they work very hard at it. Or yeah, there are always going to be mistakes, but they think they do a pretty good job. Yeah, so I what? think so. So, In the Loop caught your ear. Indeed. Which season were you watching, and what year is it supposedly in the show? Well, it was, it was this current season. Um, so they've already gone full-time to their new agency. So I think we're getting into 1964 and 1965 by okay. that time. Okay, great, great. Uh, in the Loop could have been in their vocabulary in 1964-65. Okay. Uh, in the Loop came into mainstream English through aviation engineering. There was a period in the early 1960s, late 1950s, where the big discussion is aviation is how much control should a pilot cede to the computer? Like, if you put it on autopilot... What is the role for the pilot? And there was even in a, in a Canadian journal at the time, somebody had this fabulous rant that ends with the lines, Keep the pilot in the loop. Put not your trust in electronic boxes. We need human operators on the job. And so there, there was just, it's funny to read the journals at the time because they're just talking. They really believe that airplanes are this close to being completely run by computers so that the pilot's almost not necessary. Of course, wow. we never completely have gone that far. But um, it was a big discussion at the time. And so as, at least as early as 1968, In the Loop begins to appear in mainstream popular texts outside of aviation engineering. So I suspect that it was probably out there in the language even earlier than that. I just simply haven't found those uses. That's yeah, so, very interesting. I didn't expect to hear the aviation component tied in. That's very interesting. Well, it's yeah, really, it's really surprising. It? Well, if you, if you know anything about electronics, a loop is a very important part of all electronic circuits. And so when sure. they talk about the loop, they literally mean the, mach- the electronic slash machine slash human loop. How all of these systems, and that is treating the human pilot as a system, couple together to do the job at hand. And that makes perfect sense um, even in today's usage because it really means um, that you want to be kept informed or Mm -hmm. kept abreast of something, primarily, um, especially in in the context of the the scene in the show, if other people are doing the bulk of the work and you just want to stay informed as much as possible. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yep, exactly right. Exactly. So it sounds like they got in just under the wire. Yeah, just under the wire. I, I I think we'll mark that one as okay. That's just fine for them to use in the loop. Okay, I think so. Thanks for answering the question. Thanks for calling us, Mark. Yeah, appreciate it. Sure, Mm bye-bye. Have you caught Don Draper in an anachronism? Let us know about it, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. We'll be right back with more of your calls. That's next on Away With Words. Away with Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. More at nu.edu. You're listening to Away with Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, one of the great pleasures in doing what we do is hanging around with the American Dialect Society crowd. I'm thinking specifically of the email list, ADSL, which is, you know, is kind of a chaotic form of discussion about language and trends and English and, you know, things we say, what we do, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, very current. One of the things that they're talking about now, Garson O'Toole brought this up because there's a section in the Yale Book of Quotations called this Modern Proverbs, not a stitch in time saves nine, not that sort of thing, but things like the one attributed to William Gibson, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. Mm. And so it's these expressions that we have in, in the modern world that demonstrate how we look at the modern world, not how we look at, say, the historical world. Like a stitch in time saves nine is 
archaic and weird. Right, and right. Phrases. Make hay seem... while the sun shines. I mean, no. how many people make hay anymore, <laughs> no. right? It still works. We kind of understand it, but it's not relevant to us. But there's a bunch of these here. I love this one. Sacred cows make the best hamburger. <laughs> and and by modern we mean probably since 1900, definitely since World War II, and somehow kind of rejecting that haughty demeanor of the past, and really kind of just getting down to the nuts and bolts of the modern way of life. But we have a, mm. a casualness about popular yes. discourse now that we yes. did not have a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. It has something to do with that. A few more. Put your money where your mouth is is relatively new, probably from the 1910s. Is it? Yeah, that's not a bad one, right? Okay. Um, and yeah. an incredible amount of use in that. I think that's even right. been a slogan for commercial products. Um, here's another one that I love. Life is just one damn thing after another. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. So is history. But but that's the thing about an aphorism like this or a modern proverb. They have a basic truth, and then the longer you think about them, the more true they seem. Yeah. And you start to peel back the layers and begin to, like, guess at other possible meanings that are related to the surface one, right? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what a proverb Mm -hmm. aphorism is about. Anyway, just I thought I'd share those. If you've got some modern proverbs that you'd like to share with us, send them an email to words at waywardradio.org or... Leave them on our voicemail at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Ryan from San Diego. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the program. Um, I had a question. My five-year-old son the other night, we were putting him to bed, and uh, we were doing the normal routine of giving kisses, and we did Eskimo kisses, and he asked me how that word came about and what it really meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I went ahead and told him was I wasn't really sure, but that I thought that because it was cold where the Eskimos were, that when they were to kiss uh, like we would, that their lips would stick together. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't sure uh, what the real definition was. And so the other day I was uh, traveling and heard the show, and I thought I would call in with my question. To make sure you were right. Was your kid buying it? Uh, he was buying it, actually. He thought it was kind of funny, but it was late at night, and he was tired, so uh-huh. uh, he, he wasn't sure. But I didn't know the answer, and he's five, so I thought I would follow through. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't have opportunities to get that cold here in San Diego. No. I right. just remembered the movie A Christmas Story when the kid touched his tongue to the pole and it froze. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, don't want to do that. Well, there's sort of something like what we think of as an Eskimo kiss. Um And people in that part of the world have something they call a kunik, which is more like pressing your nose and upper lip up against somebody. Like I'm sure when your son was little and you would hold him, you would press your nose and upper lip, you know, into his cheek or his, his, Mm -hmm. the side of his head. And just sort of, yeah, because they smell so good. You know, just take a real big whiff. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. you you did right, that right. when he was little. Yeah, that's that's the practice um, that people noticed, particularly when a movie came out in the 1920s called Nanook of the North, which was a documentary about life in I think Alaska. Um, well, it was definitely in this hemisphere and in, in among the Inuit, right? Yeah, yeah, and um, and that practice was shown there, and I think from that people got the idea that that was a quote unquote an Eskimo kiss. But it's not really because it's so cold; it's it's an adaptation of that really intimate greeting that um, you see also in the Maori of um, New Zealand. They have something kind of similar called the hongi, which is literally means shared breath which I love, you, you'd sort of put your forehead and nose together with the other person, and you share a breath for a second. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a beautiful greeting. We sure don't have that mm. here. So does that make sense? It's, um, yeah, we... it, does make, it does make sense, because we were kind of going along the lines of butterfly kisses and Eskimo kisses, and mm-hmm. so that's why he was, he was asking that. So mm-hmm. um, now I know I can clarify with him uh, what it is and tell him that Daddy was wrong. won't be the first time yeah take it from grant it won't be the first time or the last one right (laughs) all right well i I appreciate your time today okay thanks thanks ryan thank you bye-bye bye Bye. word origins language puzzles things that you heard said and things that you want to say but don't know how give us a call 1-877-929-9673 or put it all in email to words at waywardradio.org Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. This is Patricia Claflin in Carmel, Indiana. Hi, Hi Patricia. Patricia. Welcome Hi. to the program. Thank you. 
I have a question about a cowboy song that I remember as a child back in the 1930s. I used to love it. I used to sing along. And I heard it again recently on Prairie Home Companion. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I still have this question. What does it mean when they said, we're riding to Montana to throw the hula hand? Mm. I wondered, what was the hula hand, and where were they throwing it, and could you only do it in Montana? <laughs> How did the song go? I can't sing it. Oh, come oh. now. It's just the three of us. It was something about, I don't know, get along little doggies or something, and... And that, that was the line, and I, I used to sing along then. I don't remember the words anymore. But Get me Garrison on the phone. Let's have him right. sing it for us. <laughs> they actually played it a few weeks ago, and I was reminded that I wondered what that meant. All right. Do you have any idea? Well, I'm interested that you say Houlihan, because yeah. when I've heard it sung, like um, the magnificent version that Johnny Cash does, or Woody Guthrie, they say Julian. How does that go, Martha? <laughs> I knew you were going to... Somebody's going to sing for <laughs> okay, me. Okay, well, I'll just go here to YouTube, and uh, <laughs> and I'll get Johnny to sing it for us. How about that? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> we'll, but, uh, we'll link to that on the website. Well, maybe it was Julian. Julian. I, as a child, I thought it was Hulian. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it, how it's spelled. It, it looks that way, H-O-U-L-I-H-A-N. Okay. And um, I can tell you that a Hulian or a Hulahan is it's simply a kind of roping technique. It's a real simple, efficient kind oh. of toss of the rope. So of I'm going course. to, yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah, I wonder why they were looking forward to that. Why <laughs> oh, they were looking forward to that. Well, the other thing to say about that is that throw the hulahan became, or hulian, however you pronounce it, became okay. an expression that meant to have a rip-roaring good time, paint the town red. But okay. in this song, the one you're talking about, about old paint and, and uh-huh. rope and cattle and all that, right, it's, right. I don't think of it as a boisterous song. Do you? Mm. The way you sang it, did it, did it seem boisterous? Not really. It just seemed mysterious. Yeah, mysterious. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Patricia, how about if we link on our website, waywardradio.org, to uh, a couple of these uh, versions of the song, Johnny Cash and maybe Woody Guthrie. It's, well, that would be fun. It's a, it's a sweet song. It is. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for uh, answering that question. Nice that job, I've had Martha. for 75 years. <laughs> 75 years? Yes. Wow. <laughs> well, here's to another 75 years. Call us then with your new question, all right? I'll do that. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, Grant, we didn't even mention the name of that song. It's I Ride in Old Paint. Oh, nice. We'll link to that song and the lyrics on our website. You can find us at waywardradio.org. If you've got a question about language, slang, grammar, usage, pronunciation, or something funny someone once said to you, Give us a call, one 929 or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. I ride an old pace, I lead an old dance, I'm off to Montana, want to throw the hoolian. Speaking of linguistic false friends, those words that look like they are English words in other languages Mm -hmm. but really aren't. You know, a few weeks ago we were talking about the popular detergent in the Middle East that's spelled B-A-R-F. Barf? Barf. Looks like barf? (laughs) Well, the word looks like Ah, barf. The detergent is white Mm -hmm. because the Farsi word for um, snow Mm -hmm. is spelled that way. If you romanize it. If you romanize it. Ah, But quite a few speakers of Farsi wrote and phoned to tell us that it's not pronounced barf, it's pronounced barf. So it's not really washing your clothes in barf, it's washing your clothes in barf. Yeah, but but so much humor depends on willfully misunderstanding, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, especially for Americans. So so my apologies, Khali Mamnoon, and merci for correcting us. We always like your corrections, 1-877-929-9673. And we appreciate it when you call us up short or when you email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jessica LaFan from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I have a question regarding the phrase chest of drawers. There's a little bit of a a story here. Um, A couple years ago, my best friend was um, had written down Chester drawers Mm -hmm. on a sheet of paper when making a list of things for her house, and Mm -hmm. her husband, who is 
my husband's best friend had told him, like teasing her about it. And then in return, my husband was telling me about it. Oh, you won't believe what she did and, and laughing. And I'm like, okay, so what is it? <laughs> Cause I just, right, right. You didn't know. I didn't know. And he's like, oh, stop it. You're just teasing. And I'm like, no, really. I said, so it's not chest of drawers? And he's like, no, it's chest of drawers. And he's like, what could you have possibly thought that they were, you know, what that means? I'm like, honestly, I never put any thought into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe um, Chester's her lover or something. Yeah. Right. I was like, well, maybe it's a type of furniture. You know, we have got all these different styles of furniture. And I'm like, I just assumed it was a style of furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, is this a common misconception of the phrase? You are, you're in Wisconsin right now, right? Yes. Where are you from originally? I am from the St. Louis, Missouri area. Oh, hello. Ooh. I was born there. <laughs> um, and your, your, your female friend who was the one who wrote it down, where is she from? She is from the same area. Okay, okay. Yeah, St. Louis is an odd place because lingui- – <laughs> no, genuinely, because linguistically, yeah, linguistically it's a little bit of an island and it's got some weird characteristics of the south, some weird characteristics of the Great Lakes region, and some weird characteristics of the Midlands or the Midwest. And so it's just like a, a odd little bubble there. But in any case – you are not alone. There are two <laughs> fantastic papers written by my colleague, Alison Burkett, that's B-U-R-K-E-T-T-E, on the subject of the wide variety of names for the piece of furniture, which is generally, and there are a lot of different configurations, and she has pictures, of a, a piece of wooden furniture about waist high, made out of Again, made out of wood, maybe three drawers, one, two, three, stacked on top of one another, handles on the drawers. That's what you're talking about, right? Yes. And sometimes it's, a ver- it's more like a, um, a vertical one. Maybe it's about shoulder high or about chest high, but in general. And there's a ton of these responses. She analyzed these surveys that were done uh, across the country where this question was a fairly standard question. What do you call a piece of furniture that looks like X? And she got all these answers, and it turns out a number of people think that chest of drawers is properly called Chester drawers, C-H-E-S-T-E-R, drawers. It's really interesting to me because it shows that the word was transmitted through the mouth to the ear and that people weren't learning it from print and they weren't learning it from Ikea catalogs and they weren't learning right. it right going to <laughs> Sears to shop to decorate their house. Um, it tended to be passed along with the furniture from grandparents to parents to children. Really interesting stuff. So the basic conclusion of this is, is that this particular furniture is a mainstay of American home decorating and has a dozen or 15 different common names. I did know people in southern Indiana who wrote Chester drawers that way, and I thought they were joking the first time I saw it. And it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a capital C either. I was thinking, well, maybe they think it's some, you know, English thing, you know, British or Chesterfield or something like that. But it's, it's just Chester with a small C drawers, right? Yep. So some people call these... Um, bureaus and chests and some people call them draws so it's the word drawer mm-hmm. pronounced as if there's no last syllable there mm-hmm. so d-r-a-w-s draws um uh, just a ton of different names here and of course there's also do you have a wardrobe in your house um i don't currently but i have had one in the past would you call it a chiffre robe or an armoire or a closet or a cedar robe or any of those Armoires is probably the most common. Okay, really. Because that's another one that people have a lot of names for. In any case, these are two long articles. They're kind of academic, but they're incredibly fun. The pictures really help a lot. And uh, we're going to post links to these on our website because it's too much to relate here in this call. But, Jessica, the bottom line is you're not alone. It's okay. (laughs) The people who are complaining can back off. Anyway, Jessica, I hope we've helped a little bit. Yes, thank you so much. Sure. Take care. Grant, I'll say this article is lively. Not only do they use the expression Chester drawers and mm-hmm. chest of drawers and chest on frame. I mean, this this stuff is pretty hot. There's one called bachelor chest. I'm getting an image there. And then there's <laughs> one called chest on chest. This is getting I, – I got to put this down. I got to put this down. Call us 1-877-929-9673 or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. And if you just can't wait, come visit us on Facebook. We're there under Wayward Radio.
Grant, I finally did it. Four years living in San Diego, and I finally decided to take a surf lesson. I couldn't stand it any longer. Oh, really? How long yeah. do you stay aboard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say that I will never listen to the song Wipe Out in the same way again. It has a whole new meaning for but me But then now. Martha in neoprene. Very interesting. <laughs> hmm. It's hot, but, but it is hard as heck to get that wetsuit on and off. I tell you, that's a workout right there. And Grant, it just reminded me that one of the things I really love about trying something new that other people are passionate about is that you pick up so much great lingo. Mm -hmm. I was really excited to uh, be around people who were, uh, you know, saying just perfectly casually. They were talking about tombstoning and purling and and aggro-grommet surfer dudes, and and they they could pull that off. I I tried pulling it off, but it didn't work very well. After class, I said to the instructor, let's go get some grunts because I'd seen in a dictionary that grunts meant Uh food, but apparently not in this particular Southern California dialect of surfing lingo. What do they call food? Well, she she said, grunts? What are you talking about? And she said, oh, you mean grinds Ah. or grindage. So I thoroughly embarrassed myself. Apparently some parts of the world, they say uh, grunts, but... uh, You'll catch up. My question uh, is, at your age, which is not all that old, (laughs) are you still a grommet because you're a newbie, or or is that only for the young newbies? Um, I'm a Betty. Oh, I see. That's like a hottie, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, I don't know if I am or not, but I I think I'm a confirmed boogie boarder, actually. (laughs) Give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number is one 929 9673 Or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. You can stay in touch with us all week by following us on Twitter. We're there under the username Wayward. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. So long. Take care. You say neither, and I say neither. Either, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato. I like potato, you like tomato, I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off, but oh, if we call Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. More at nu.edu. Hey there, podcast listeners. Just want to let you know that although we give you the show free and we give it free to stations, it does cost something to send these episodes out to hundreds of thousands of listeners across the planet. Help support our educational mission by going to the website and clicking the donate link. Ten bucks? A little more? How about as much as you think it's worth? Thanks in any case for helping us keep shop.